Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. This is your brother Hussein Kamani. If you enjoyed listening to our podcast, please donate to Qalam by visiting supportqalam.com. We love being able to share this content for free, and your donation ensures we are always able to do so. Each podcast we produce has thousands of listeners, so the opportunity for gaining immense reward by supporting our efforts is endless. You never know who will be able to benefit from your donation. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept and jazakumullahu khairan. Assalamu alaikum. Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah wa kafa wa salamun ala ibadihi alladhi nastafa. Khususan ala sayyidir rusuli wa khatamil anbiya wa ala alihi laskiya wa ashabihi latqiya. Amma ba'd. In today's class, insha'Allah al-Aziz, we will cover the life of Sayyidina Yahya alayhi salam. As discussed in our previous class, Yahya alayhi salam was the son of Sayyidina Zakariya alayhi salam. His mention came in Zakariya alayhi salam's story quite frequently. And the reason is because there is no place in the Qur'an where Yahya alayhi salam is mentioned, but Zakariya alayhi salam is also mentioned there. All of the places in the Qur'an where Yahya alayhi salam is mentioned, he is mentioned along with his father, Sayyidina Zakariya alayhi salam, in Surah Ali Imran, Surah An'am, Surah Maryam, and also in Surah Anbiya. His birth was miraculous. It was a result of the dua of his father. The scholars, they say that Yahya alayhi salam was born around the same time as Sayyidina Isa alayhi salam. There are actually two opinions in this regard. The first opinion is that they were actually the same age. Their birth occurred days apart from one another. And the second opinion is that Yahya alayhi salam was actually six months older than Isa alayhi salam. And he was also killed. He was shaheed, martyred before Isa salam was lifted from the world. So Isa salam was younger than him and he also outlived him in the dunya. <clears throat> now in the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes mention of Sayyidina Yahya salam. He was a prophet sent to Banu Israel. The same people that Musa salam was sent to, that Isa salam was working with, that his father Zakariya salam also gave da'wah to. It was a large community. Many prophets were sent. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, ثُمَّ أَرْسَلْنَا رُسُلَنَا تَتَرَى That we sent one prophet after the other. The prophets just kept coming because there was so much to this community. It was a big community, a big tribe, uh, many tribes. Now, in today's class, I wanted to focus on two or three ayat that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reveals in the Qur'an regarding Sayyidina Yahya alayhi salam. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Surah Al-Imran, verse number 39 and verse 40, فَنَادَتْهُ وَهُوَ قَائِمٌ يُصَلِّي فِي الْمِحْرَابِ Actually, we'll focus on 39. And the angels called out to Zakariya alayhi salam while he was standing in the mihrab, calling out to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, making his dua to Allah, praying in front of Allah, وَهُوَ قَائِمٌ يُصَلِّي فِي الْمِحْرَابِ أَنَّ اللَّهَ يُبَشِّرُكَ بِيَحْيَىٰ That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to bless you with a child whose name will be? His name will be Yahya. 
Now, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala named Yahya alayhi salam, which is a great honor for Sayyidina Yahya alayhi salam. Similarly, we also learn from the Qur'an that Yahya alayhi salam's name was very unique and it was not one that was used before him. Now after this, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala describes Yahya alayhi salam with certain characteristics. The first thing, مُصَدِّقًا بِكَلِمَةٍ مِّنَ اللَّهِ That Yahya alayhi salam will come to speak and clarify and further convey, he will testify on behalf of, you know, um, the بِكَلِمَةٍ مِّنَ اللَّهِ The statement of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Tasdiq means to What's the word? Endorse. Endorses. Not right. It's confirm. Thank you so much. It was at the tip of my tongue and it wasn't, it wasn't flowing. Tasdiq means to confirm something. When someone says something, that's sidq. Tasdiq is to say, to confirm what they said is the truth. Do you guys understand? When a person speaks the truth, you call that sidq. Tasdiq is for me to confirm that what that person said is the truth. Now, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says regarding him, مُصَدِّقًا بِكَلِمَةٍ مِّنَ اللَّهِ That he will confirm the, the, the kalima of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's how we're going to translate this word for now. Kalima in the Arabic language refers to a word, a statement, but I'll explain what this means. Now the scholars have differed in opinion on what this kalima actually means. What was Isa, Yahya alayhi salam confirming? So the first opinion, and this belongs to Abu Ubaidah, أَنَّهَا كِتَابٌ مِّنَ اللَّهِ that this kalima min Allah that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is speaking of, it refers to the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It was a book that was revealed before either to Sayyidina Dawood alayhi salam or Sayyidina Musa alayhi salam or one of the other prophets of Banu Israel. And the truth is every prophet that came in the history of mankind, regardless of whether they were granted a new message or not, they always confirmed what came to the prophet before them. They always confirmed what came to the prophet before them. Um, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says regarding the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam at the tongue of Isa alayhi salam that he said to the people that he will also confirm what I bring and I confirm what he brings and all the prophets confirm what the other brings. The second opinion which is the opinion of the jamhur, the majority of the scholars, أَنَّ الْمُرَادَ مِنْ قَوْلِهِ بِكَلِمَةٍ مِّنَ اللَّهِ هُوَ Isa alayhi salam that when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions that Yahya alayhi salam will confirm the kalima of Allah, this is not referring to a book, rather this is referring to his cousin Sayyidina Isa alayhi salam. Regarding this Imam al-Suddi, who was a great mufassir, he narrates an incident. He says, لَقِيَتْ أُمُّ عِيسَى أُمَّ Yahya alayhi salam That Isa alayhi salam's mother met the mother of Yahya alayhi salam. One was expecting and she was pregnant with a child, Yahya alayhi salam, and the other one was pregnant and she was uh, expecting that she was carrying her son, Isa alayhi salam. I mean, what a group of women. Both of them are pregnant, they must be going for a walk, and one is carrying one prophet, the other one's carrying another prophet. Subhanallah, Allahu Akbar. فقالت يا مريم أشعرتي أني حبلة. She said, Oh Maryam, have you realized that I'm pregnant? فَقَالَتْ مَرْيَمْ وَأَنَا أَيْضٌ حُبُلَا That I am also expecting to. فَقَالَتْ إِمْرَأَةُ زَكَرِيَا زَكَرِيَا عَلَيْهِ السَّلَامِ's wife said, فَإِنِّي وَجَدْتُ مَا فِي بَطْنِي يَسْجُدُ لِمَا فِي بَطْنِكَ That I have noticed that what is in my womb is bowing down to that which is in your womb. 
Suddi says, this is the explanation of the ayah, that he will confirm and he will also be um, a follower of the message that is delivered by Sayyidina Isa alayhi salam. At this point, Ibn Abbas, he says, I mentioned this before, that Yahya alayhi salam was older than Sayyidina Isa alayhi salam by Six months. وَكَانَ يَحْيَىٰ أَوَّلَ مَنْ آمَنَ وَصَدَّقَ بِأَنَّهُ كَلِمَةُ اللَّهُ وَرُوحُهُ And since Yahya a.s. was older, when that right time came, Yahya a.s. was the first one to testify that he was the kalima of Allah and Isa a.s. was a prophet of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who was sent with a message. ثُمَّ قُتِلَ يَحْيَىٰ قَبْلَ رَفْعِ عِيسَىٰ a.s. Ibn Abbas said, and Yahya a.s. was killed he was martyred before Isa alayhi salam was lifted into the heavens. Now if someone asks, why was Isa alayhi salam called the kalima of Allah, the word of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, kalimatim min Allah, a word from Allah, or um, why is Isa alayhi salam called this? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, here kalimatim min Allah, that's easier, but um, in another verse in Surah Nisa, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says kalimatuh, his word. So why is this name given to Isa alayhi salam? The ulama have given multiple explanations. The first one, al-awwalu annahu khuliqa bi kalimatillah. The reason why he is called the statement of Allah is because he was created through the statement of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Between the kaf and noon, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, kun and Isa alayhi salam was in existence. Min ghayri wasitatil ab. Without any middle person, without a father being involved. فَلَمَّا كَانَ تَكْوِينُهُ بِمَحْضِ قَوْلِ اللَّهِ كُنْ وَبِمَحْضِ تَكْوِينِهِ وَتَخْلِيقِهِ مِنْ غَيْرِ وَاسِطَةِ الْأَبْ لَا جَرَمَ سُمْيَا كَلِمَةً And because he was born simply through the statement of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the command of Allah, not through any father, therefore he is referred to as kalima. كَمَا يُسَمَّ الْمَخْلُوقُ خَلْقَةً Sometimes the creation, sometimes the creation, the Arabic word for creation is makhluq. But when you refer to the creation in Arabic, sometimes rather than using the ism maf'ul, which is a correct noun to use for that sort of a word, you use the mustar. You say khalqan. Similarly, al-maqdur qudra. You say this is the qadr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Rather than saying this is maqdur, which is a correct word to use, that which is decreed by Allah, you just say this is the decree of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Wal-marju'u raja' wal-mushtaha shahwa wa hakada. And similarly. So this, it should have been, if someone could argue, that Isa salam shouldn't be called the statement of Allah, rather the one that was created through the statement of Allah. And the reason why I gave these other examples from the Arabic language is to show that it's common usage in the Arabic language that when you refer to something that was created as a source of a verb, you can refer to that thing by the verb itself. So you can refer to makhluq as khalq, and that'll suffice. The second explanation the scholars have given of why Isa salam is called the kalima of Allah because Isa salam spoke as a child. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala granted him revelation and granted him a book even when he was young. And therefore, in Isa salam's miracles was his speech from a young age. And he had a message and he was speaking to people of Allah from a young age. Therefore he was called the kalima of Allah, the word of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
So when a person has a characteristic that's special about them, that's unique about them, he spoke when he was young, that was a unique characteristic, you can refer to that person by uh, that characteristic and that'll suffice, therefore he is called Kalimatullah. The third opinion is, because it was through his speech that he guided people to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Therefore, he was called the Kalima of Allah, the speech of Allah, because he spoke that which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wanted him to speak to mankind, that which was necessary to connect people back to mankind. Moving forward, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the second characteristic he uses to describe Yahya alayhi salam in this verse of Surah Ali Imran, he says, Sayyidan, Musaddiqan bi kalimatin min Allah wa Sayyida. Sayyida, Sayyid in the Arabic language means to be a, a leader. Someone who leads a people is called a Sayyid. Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he said, Sayyidul qawm khadimuhum. The leader of the people in reality is their servant. Leadership comes with a responsibility. This is why Amr bin As on his deathbed was crying. His son came to visit him. The hadith is in Sahih Muslim. He said, I came to visit my father. My father turned his face away from me and he faced the wall while lying on his deathbed and he was crying. And I said to my father, why are you crying? Didn't Rasulullah pass on so many glad tidings to you? Amr bin As at that point turned around and faced his son. And he said, I went through three phases in my life. The first phase was that there was no one on the face of the earth who hated the Prophet more than I did. And I wanted to kill him had I had the opportunity. If I had died in this state, I would have been a wretched man. The second state of my life was the day I became Muslim and I had companionship with Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Had I died in this state, I would have had hope in myself. He says, Then towards the last part of our life, we were granted the position and responsibility of being governors. And now everyone has a claim against me. So I don't know who will stand against me, who, who won't. And he continued crying. Sayyidul Qawm Khadimuhum. The leader of the people in reality is their servant. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala refers to Yahya alayhi salam as Sayyidan. Jubai, who is the famous Mu'tazidi scholar who we've made reference to before in our classes, while commenting on this sifa, Sayyid, he says, Innahu kana Sayyidan lil mu'mineen, ra'isan lahum fiddeen, a'ni fil ilmi wal hilmi wal ibadati wal wara. That he was a leader for people. He was a leader for people, Yahya There were many beautiful characteristics he carried and he guided and he led people through those characteristics. People were able to understand what a good human being looks like by having a leader like Yahya And this is exactly what Imam Al-Ghazali mentions, that fix the leadership of our community, the common folk will find guidance. The reason why the community, the common person, isn't interested in religion is because the khatibs, the community leaders, the imams, those who are representatives of the Muslim community have no sense of taqwa. They have no sense of doing what's right and what's wrong. Just yesterday one person called me and he, he messaged me saying to me that uh, I have a desire to play a musical instrument, something that I've been doing for a large part of my life, long part of my life. And there's a difference of opinion amongst the scholars, so I wish to continue, I just wanted to get your advice. So I said to this individual that I will agree and I will accept that there is a difference of opinion amongst the scholars on the ruling, the permissibility or lack of when it comes to music. I have my position, you're fully aware of my position that I'm not in favor of it. But regardless, if you do decide to take the position that there is permissibility for music and musical instruments, and you know this is a contentious issue in your community, 
And you realize that by you becoming a public musician, your scope of da'wah could be limited immediately. You're letting something that you desire cloud your judgment when it comes to your da'wah because as a da'i, your focus should be how can I get my message to the furthest point? So I said to this individual, based on the opinion you already hold, if you wish to continue playing your musical instrument privately for your own benefit, because that's what you want to do when you view it to be jayas, then fabiha. But if you view it to be, but if you plan to do it in a public setting, then you should be very careful. You should be thoughtful. You're a community leader. You may not be a scholar, but you deliver khutbahs in your community. People, they sit in your halaqat. You should be careful. If the community leaders become thoughtful, careful, they are wise, that wisdom will surely pour down into the awam nas Sayyidan. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala referred to Yahya alayhi salam as Sayyid, as a leader. Ikrimah, who was a famous mufassir, he says, As-Sayyidu alladhi la yaghlibuhu al-ghadab. A leader is someone who is not overtaken by anger. This is what a leader is. And Yahya salam was surely not an angry person. Now, once a person isn't overtaken by anger, and they are a leader, at that point, all of the beautiful characteristics that they carry will become beautiful and will become desirable in the eyes of people. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then describes Yahya salam with a third characteristic, a sifa al-thalitha. He refers to him as hasur, sayyidan wa hasuran wa nabiyyan min as-salihin. So we have two more after this. Hasuran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala refers to him as hasur. What does the word hasur mean? Al-hasru fil lughati al-habsu. Hasr means to hold back something, to refrain, to hold back, to contain. Now, what does this word hasur mean as an attribute of Sayyidina Yahya alayhi salam? Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is describing him as hasur. The scholars say hasur is someone who withdraws from sexual activity. Someone who holds back, holds back from engaging in their sexual desires. This person is called hasur. Now the mufassirun fall into two groups on what this characteristic actually mean when we attribute it to Sayyidina Yahya alayhi salam. The first position is a minority position, and I may also say, with respect, the wrong position. And the second position is the correct position, the majority position held by the Jamhur Ahl Sunnah wal Jama'ah. You'll understand why I openly refer to the first one as a wrong position very soon, but I want to share it anyway because it is an opinion and therefore we should be aware of it. Ahduha annahu kana aadizan an ityan nas. The first group of people they said that Hasur means he was not he did not engage in sexual activity. Their position is that he did not engage in sexual activity because he did not have the ability to do so. What did they say? He did not have the ability to engage in sexual activity. What was the reason behind it? Then they claim a few different things. They all are clearly accusations against Sayyidina Yahya alayhi salam. And um, we won't give any attention to that. However, the second group of scholars, they say, This opinion according to us is wrong, faulty, we do not accept it. What do we understand this verse to mean? 
he did disengage from sexual activity. Oh, sorry. Uh, that Yahya did not engage in sexual activity, not because he was not capable or not able to engage in sexual activity, rather it was because he wanted to keep himself pure of sexual thoughts. He did not want to engage in sexual activity because he wanted to withhold and hold back on his temptation, on his desires, as a form of uh, abstaining. Now, how can we differentiate between the two and know one is right and one is wrong? It's simple. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala referred to him as hasur. What was the word used in the Quran? Hasur. لِأَنَّ الْحَسُورُ هُوَ الَّذِي يَكْفِرُ مِنْهُ الْحَسُرُ النَّفْسِ وَمَنْعُهَا Hasur is someone who goes above and beyond in abstaining. Not just abstaining, that would be hasir. Okay? Hasur is someone who goes above and beyond. Similarly, right? So, this scale of hasur, when applied to any fa'ul, when applied to a verb, it, it mandates necessity of that verb. If Yahya could not engage in sexual activity because he was incapable of doing so, the word hasur wouldn't apply. Because if a person is incapable of doing something, them not doing it does not make them one who stays away from it excessively. On the other hand, if you call this person hasur, then that means that that person إنما تحصل عند قوة عند قوة الرغبة والداعية والقدرة وعلى هذا الحصول بمعنى الحاصل فعول بمعنى فاعل. So when a person goes out of their way, even though they have the ability to sexually engage, and they decide to stay away, at that point, this person is now called hasur. Amongst the scholars who refuted that first position are the likes of Qadi Iyad al-Maliki. In his Ashifa, he has a lengthy discussion where he refutes the scholars who make the first claim. Also, Alama Khifaji rahmatullahi alayhi, he wrote in his Sharah Nasim al-Riyadh, uh, where he also refutes this issue uh, extensively. So there are two ways for a person to disengage sexually. One is that they um, control their sexual passion. Actually, there's three ways. One is that you get rid of the sexual passion altogether by castrating yourself or whatever means are out there, prohibited, not okay in Islam at all. The second is that you withdraw from society altogether. You go live in a cave like many um, Christian uh, leaders and Christian uh, priests have done. And then the third is that you continue to live among the people but you avoid interacting in any way with someone or with the opposite gender in particular that may sexually arouse you. You're very careful of your modesty, of lowering your gaze. What kind of things you say, what kind of things you hear, what kind of things you watch. You watch out for what thoughts people are feeding into your mind and what images you're seeing when you turn your TV on. These are all very important things. So when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala calls him hasur, this means he was someone that was very careful of his modesty. He was very thoughtful and was careful of not engaging in anything that would uh, stir thoughts. Now, we know regarding Yahya alayhi salam that he did not get married in his life. Similarly, we know this regarding his cousin Isa alayhi salam. He also did not get married. 
regarding Isa السلام, there are narrations that when he does return to the world, he will be married. But regarding Yahya السلام, we know that he was not married and he was martyred, therefore he did not live a life of marriage. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala praised him for that in the Quran by calling him Hasura. Based off of this, some of the Shafi'i scholars in particular, and other fuqaha as well, have taken the position, they've held the opinion that it is okay for a person, it is okay for a person, maybe even virtuous for a person, to set aside getting married if they wish to dedicate their life for serving the deen, studying hadith, Quran, whatever good there is, serving mankind, taking care of the needy and the poor, whatever good they wish to do, as long as they can ensure that they will be patient. They will be patient with what? With everything. Because not getting married is easier to say on paper, but there are, many, there are many difficulties that will come in life. You know, marriage brings a lot of good. There's, there's a blessing in marriage. Look at the ahadith of Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam regarding marriage, and there, there aren't just one or two. There's a whole chapter in every hadith collection you'll find regarding the fada'il nikah. You'll find 40 books on this 40 hadith collection on just the virtue of nikah. Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala in the Quran says, جَعَلَ بَيْنَكُمْ مَوَدَّةً that it, it's a place of mercy, it's a place of love. Marriage is a very beautiful thing. It offers you companionship, an opportunity to raise your family. It gives you a chance to serve another person. Walk into marriage with this mind, that I wish to be a khadim for another person. There was a sister that I met this week, she actually said to me that one of my intentions of getting married is to do khidmah. And I thought to myself, subhanAllah, alhamdulillah, what a beautiful intention that a person has before they even get married, that I'm not going to be the makhdoom, I'm going to be the khadim. I don't want to be served, rather my focus will be on serving others, serving my spouse. So when it comes to this issue of getting married or not, there are many scholars in Islamic history who chose not to get married and dedicate their life to studying the deen, teaching the deen, and being activists for Islam. There is a great scholar, Syrian scholar, Sheikh Abdul Fattah Abu Ghudda rahimahullah ta'ala. He wrote a book in which he gathered the mention of 20 to 30 scholars who chose not to get married, and he mentioned their story and their examples. He named the book Al-Uzzab min al-Ulama. Al-Uzzab refers to those who did not get married, those who refrained. Al-Uzzab min al-Ulama al-ladhina aatharu al-ilma ala al-zawaj. The scholars who chose not to get married and gave preference to knowledge over marriage. From amongst them, he lists the likes of Abdullah bin Abi Najih al-Makki, Yunus bin Habib al-Basri, Hassan bin Ali al-Ju'fi al-Kufi, Bishr al-Hafi al-Marwazi, Abu Ja'far Muhammad ibn Jarir al-Tabari, Abu Bakr ibn al-Ambari, Abu Ali al-Faris, Abu Nasr al-Sijzi, Abu Sa'ad al-Samman al-Razi al-Basri, Abu al-Barakat al-Mati al-Baghdadi, Abu al-Qasim al-Zamakhshari, the famous Zamakhshari, Ibn al-Khashab al-Baghdadi al-Hanbali, Nasih al-Din al-Hanbali al-Baghdadi, Jamal al-Din al-Qutfi, Muhy al-Din, Imam al-Nawawi rahmatullahi alayhi, um, Shaykh al-Islam Ibn Taymiyyah al-Harrani rahmatullahi alayhi, Bashir al-Ghazi Abu al-Wafa al-Afghani and obviously the famous and well-known Karima al-Marwaziyya rahimahullahu ta'ala rahmatan wasi'a and he makes mention of many other scholars along the way however in the muqaddama in the introduction of the book Shaykh Abdul Fattah Abu Ghudda rahimahullahu ta'ala very openly says 
لم يدعو أحدا من الناس إلى الاقتداء بهم في هذا المسلك ولا قالوا للناس التبتل العلم أفضل من الزواج ولا ما نحن فيه عليه أفضل مما أنتم عليه that these scholars chose to practice not getting married because he says this was something that they chose for themselves because they realized that by engaging in marriage they would be distracted or maybe they weren't ready to get married you know Sheikh Yunus uh, the great scholar of our time who passed away recently I remember sitting in a gathering when someone asked him why didn't you get married because he was from the scholars who never got married in his life he dedicated his life to the hadith in Sahih al-Bukhari he said that I feared when I was young that had I got married I would not be able to fulfill the rights of my spouse I just wasn't interested so locking me into a marriage when I wasn't interested would make that person's life miserable why would I do that to another person by the time I was interested in marriage and I had you know found other purpose and I also was looking for different things in life that window of marriage was long gone and that now there you know the challenges that he faced towards the end of his life as someone who didn't get married I'm I'm aware of them because I was with him alhamdulillah I had the chance to perform hajj with him on multiple occasions and it was very difficult for him very difficult for him going to the bathroom was difficult for him eating was very difficult for him washing his clothes was difficult for him you know he would cry a lot because he didn't have children I saw him with my eyes and he would cry and he would wipe his tears and say, Ab tum mere that you are my kids now. And then if we, if we didn't show up or if we were late to meeting him, rahimahullah, he would cry because he would feel the sense of loneliness. Amongst the students, it was known that someone should always be with him, give him uh, emotional support, be there to support him. That's why when we talk about this subject, I understand some people glorify it, but you have to really be thoughtful and understand the difficulties that come with him. That's why Shaykh Abdul Fattah, let's go back to his statement. He says that those scholars who chose not to get married, they never told anyone to follow them. They never said to anyone that what we are doing is better than what you are doing, meaning not being married is better than, than being married. And their purpose of not getting married was because they wanted to dedicate their life to their purpose of creation. وَمَا خَلَقْتُ الْجِنَّ وَالْإِنسَ إِلَّا From a fiqh perspective, Imam al-Razi explains that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala praised, um, He praised Yahya alayhi salam for not being married. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, أُولَٰئِكَ الَّذِينَ هَدَى اللَّهُ فَبِهُدَاهُ مُخْتَدِي That meaning their example should be followed. And there is, no, there is no abrogation in our sharia for such, a, for such a ruling. Therefore, we are allowed to act upon that ruling and we will give preference to it. The Shafi'i argument is premised on this statement right here. However, it's not based on the argument that certain philosophers have taken. And their argument is that giving birth to a child is a crime. There are a group of philosophers. What was their argument? They said... وَلَا ذَهَبُوا فِي تَرْكِ الزَّوَاجِ مَذْهَبَ بَعْضِ الْحُكَمَاءِ وَالْفَلَاسِفَةِ الْقَائِلِينَ بِأَنَّ إِيجَادَ الْوَلَدِ جِنَايَةٌ عَلَيْهِ That giving birth to a child is a crime against the child. قَالَ إِبْنُ خَلِّقَانِ إِبْنُ خَلِّقَانِ Famous scholar, he writes in his وَفَيَاتُ الْأَعْيَانِ فِي تَرْجُمَةِ الْأَبُ الْعَلَاءَ الْمَعْمَرِي Abu Al-Ma'mari was known for his mastery in the Arabic language. 
His name was Abu Ala al Al Ma'arri. Sorry, Abu Abu Ala al Ma'arri. His name was Ahmad ibn Abdullah. That was his actual name. Balagani annahu awsa an yuktaba ala qabrihi hadha al-bayt That when he died, he told the people write this line of poetry on my grave, on my headstone And it said Hadha jinahu abu Ali Hadha jinahu abi Ali Wa ma janaytu ala ahad That this grave that you're standing at is the crime of my father This grave you're standing at is the crime of my father Wa ma janaytu ala ahad I did not commit any crime in the world Because he did not get married their opinion was هذا البيت معلق متعلق بإعتقاد الحكماء فإنهم يقولون إيجاد الولد وإخراجه إلى هذا العالم جناية عليه لأنه يتعرض للحوادث والآفات. The reason why they felt that it was a crime to give birth to a child was because they said by giving birth to a child you now deliver him to a world full of pain, full of calamity. And why would you do that to another child? Well, it became, it will become. Are you guys ready for this? I'm about to throw a jab in. Your life will surely be pain and calamity if you're, a if you're a philosopher. You have no purpose in life. What do you believe in? But if you believe in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, your life is not a pain. Do you guys understand? Your life is not a misery. There's so much purpose. In every difficulty, every ease, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is calling you. I look at people who don't have Allah as a part of their life, and I tell myself, gosh, it must really suck being you. Not with arrogance. Honestly, I'm, I'm, I, I, did, I did nothing to earn my iman. Alhamdulillahi ala ni'matil islam wa kafa biha ni'ma. Wa ma kunna linahtadiya lawla an hadan Allah. Like we would not have iman had Allah not given it to us. I have nothing to claim here. But since Allah has given me iman, I'm like, alhamdulillah. I don't know what kind of misery I would be in if Allah, if I didn't believe in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. People, they say, denying the existence of Allah, it, um, it liberates you. From my perspective, believing in Allah liberates you. It gives purpose to you. It gives you freedom. It gives you hope. It gives you everything you need to live in this dunya and interact with the people around you. Now, regarding not getting married, those who choose not to get married, they, they cite certain statements of the Prophet ﷺ and also from certain companions. Let's examine one or two of them and then we'll continue. The first is a statement narrated by Imam Ahmad in his Musnad. Imam Tirmidhi narrated in his Sunan in the beginning of his Abwaab al-Bir wa-Sila. However, there is a discussion regarding the chain of this narration. From the great female companion Khawla bint Hakim radiallahu anha she says one day the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam exited anna Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam kharaja muhtadinan ahada ibnay ibnatihi one day Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam came out while embracing one of the two children of his daughter one of Fatima radiallahu anha's children either Hassan radiallahu anha or Hussein radiallahu anha and most likely it was Hassan radiallahu anha the reason is because of the next narration that I'll quote with, that I'll narrate to you, narrated by Imam Hakim rahmatullahi alayhi, in which Aswad bin Khalaf says, "Annahu akhada Hasanan faqabbalahu." Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam held Hasan radiyallahu an. He kissed him and then he said. So in this riwayah, she says that he was holding on to one of his grandchildren. Wahu yaqul and he said, "Wallahi inna kum la tubakhilun wa tujabinun wa tujahilun wa inna kum la min rayhanillah." That indeed you, he's talking to his grandson, saying, you create miserliness in a person, you make a person stingy. Tujabbinun, you make a person a coward. Tujahilun, you make a person ignorant too. 
And then he said, however you are from the flowers and you're from a gift, you're a gift from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now the narration of Hakim says, It's the same thing. That the child is a source of becoming miserly stingy, becoming ignorant, and also being a coward, Rawahul Bazar, as narrated by Imam Bazar rahmatullahi Now, Alama Zamakhshari rahmatullahi in his al-faiq, while commentating on this hadith, he explains why Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam referred to his grandchild as a source of becoming stingy, miserly, of being er- ignorant, and, and, and not being um, courageous and being a coward. He says, مَعْنَاهُ أَنَّ الْوَلَدَ يُقْعُ أَبَاهُ يُقْعُ أَبَاهُ فِي الْبُخْلِ That a child puts his father into stinginess. Why? Because once you have a child, now what are you thinking of? I gotta save up for my child. I can't give for sadaqah anymore, even though spending on your child is a form of sadaqah. But you know, I can't do this, I can't do that, because you're constantly worried about your children. Similarly, وَفِي الْجَهْلِ شُغْلًا بِهِ عَنْ طَلَبِ الْعِلْمِ When a person has a child, now they're occupied. How are they going to seek knowledge? Because now you have to take care of your kids. وَفِي الْجُبْنِ خَوْفًا مِنْ أَنْ يُخْطَلَ فَيَضِيعُ وَلَدُهُ بَعْدَهُ He becomes a coward because he fears that if I'm killed, if I'm killed then what will happen to my child? My child will be wasted. No one will be there to look after my child. وَإِنَّكُمْ لَمِنْ رَيْحَانِ اللَّهِ However you are from the flowers gifted by Allah. يَعْنِ أَنَّهُمْ يُشَمُّونَ وَيُقَبَّلُونَ That you are, you know, a parent, they, they, they smell their child, they kiss their child, they embrace their child. You're like a flower to us, we love you very dearly. The last statement I want to quote on this before I move forward is the statement of Umar bin Khattab radiallahu anhu where he said, and this is an authentic riwayah, he said, تَفَقَّهُ قَبْلَ أَن تُسَوَّدُ تَفَقَّهُ Qabla an tusawwadu. Tafaqahu means gain a deep understanding to this religion. Qabla an tusawwadu. Now, what does this mean, Qabla an tusawwadu? In the Qamus, in the Arabic language, you will find Fisudi at tasawwud yani at tazawwaj. Tasawwud means marriage. According to one group of linguists, they say tasawwud means marriage. Therefore, they say the statement of Umar means gain deep knowledge of this deen before you get married. And this was the advice of many scholars of the past. They would say to their students that hold out on marriage to the best of your ability, if you're seeking knowledge. Because while you're seeking knowledge, if you choose to get married, that will now be a distraction for you. Male or female, it doesn't matter. Now if you feel that you're gonna fall into zina, then forget that, get married. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about in a scenario where you've held yourself, you've held yourself back for 20 years, and if you hold off for another one or two years and get through your college and not force your parents' hand on getting you married, it'll benefit you in the long run. Seek knowledge before you get married. The thing is that seeking knowledge requires a lot of effort. Can we agree on that? In particular, if you're doing it properly. It requires effort, it requires time. If someone is seeking knowledge properly, they won't be able to fulfill the right of their spouse. Similarly, marriage requires a lot of effort. It does, you know. Now, if you're fulfilling your marriage properly, it's likely that you're probably struggling with seeking knowledge. Go to many people and they'll tell you that, man, I wish I had sought knowledge before I got married. Now that I'm married, I have limitations. And that's okay, by the way. There's nothing wrong with that. It's a part of life. There are things that we used to do before we had children, before we got married. And now that we have children, now that we're married, we can't do those things. And we don't regret it. We're happy. Alhamdulillah. I am where I am in my life. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives everyone whatever they need when it's best for them. And we chalk that to the qadr of Allah and we're very content and happy with that. However, another group of scholars, they say, 
وقد فسر أكثر العلماء التسود في قول عمر بالرياسة. Majority of the scholars they say the statement of Umar bin Khattab radiallahu anhu that gained deep knowledge of religion before tasawwud. They say that doesn't mean marriage; rather, it means before you become a leader or a governor. Because once you become a governor and leader, obviously you can understand um, the responsibilities increase. If marriage adds responsibilities, imagine someone who's running for a political campaign or is in a position of leadership, that will totally consume you. Therefore, um, Imam Ibn al-Jawzi writes in his book, Sayyid al-Khatir, while talking about the things that a student of knowledge should do. Uh, he says that a student of knowledge should acquire wasa'ilul hifd, that he should seek knowledge on afdali wasa'ilul hifd, wa an afdalil awqat, wal amakin, wal ahwalil hifd, that when you're seeking knowledge, you should find the best time to seek knowledge, the best place to seek knowledge, be in the best state to be, seek knowledge. You know, all the things that, 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 that'll give you an edge on memory, do those things. You can maybe memorize more in the morning. You can maybe memorize more after taking a shower, you're fresh. Whatever it is that works for you. You need to find out what will help you be more focused and allow you to memorize more. Memorize at that time. And then at the end of it he says, And Imam uh, Ibn al says, I advise the students of knowledge who are in their earlier phase, earlier period of studying, to push out marriage as much as they can, therefore they can memorize better and focus better. فَإِنَّ أَحْمَدَ بْنَ حَمْبَلَ Because Imam Ahmad bin Hanbal رحمة الله لم يتزوج حتى تمت له أربعون سنة Imam Ahmad bin Hanbal رحمة الله did not get married until how many years passed by? 40 years passed by. And this was because of his desire to seek knowledge. So all in all, as I close off this discussion, there are there is a small group of scholars who have chosen to dedicate their life to ilm, or push out marriage. However, when I look at majority of the ulama, majority of the scholars of the deen, this wasn't their approach. They acted upon the teaching of Nabi ﷺ. When Nabi ﷺ spoke about marriage, with all due respect to the ulama who were mentioned above, he spoke to the youth. He wasn't speaking to 40-year-old men or 50-year-old men. Ya ma'ashar al-shabab. Who was Nabi ﷺ speaking to? The youth. مَنِ اسْتَطَاعَ مِنْكُمُ الْبَاءَ فَلْيَتَزَوَّجِ فَلْيَتَزَوَّجِ That's Amr. In the Arabic language, that's Amr. Which means those of you who have the ability to get married, should get married. So for those of us who do have that ability to get married, that's where our focus should be. Sometimes not getting married, and this is not all the time, I know there are many factors. Sometimes there's abuse, sometimes there's this emotional trauma, you've seen a bad marriage. There could be a hundred reasons why a person chooses to push out their marriage or not get married. But there are many times where you're putting yourself at the center and you aren't focusing on family, you're not focusing on society, you're not focusing on something greater than yourself. And this happens a lot. It's your career that's at the center of it. You know? And you're not focusing on understanding that yes, my career may take a hit, my education may take a hit. But if I get married when I'm young, I'll have a child while I'm still young, I'll be able to do the tarbiyah of that child while I'm still young. I do tarbiyah of my child when I'm 50 years old, I'm just gonna shout and scream at my child. There won't be a two-way dialogue. But if I'm, if I'm 20 years old, 25 years old, and my child is growing up, and my child says to me, Dad, you're wrong, because I'm younger, it'll be easier for me to say, yeah, you're right, actually, I might be wrong on this one. Let's, go, let's revisit the issue again. You know, you might be able to play sports with your kids. You might be able to run around with your kids and toss them around and let them toss you around a little as well. 
But as you age, those windows begin to close. You guys are laughing because I said toss you around. I did Atikaf one year in Chicago, and there was a father and son that did Atikaf with us. It was in Ramadan. And I remember one day after iftar, the father went to the son. I thought these two were brothers, by the way. I had no idea they were father and son. Like, no idea. By Allah, I had no idea. And then he said, this is my, one was the imam. He's an imam, actually. He did Atikaf with us. He said, this is my son. He said to me, Sheikh, this is my son. I said, what? This is your son? He said, yeah. I said, subhanAllah, I had no idea. He said, you know, my son and I, my son was telling me right now that he can do more push-ups than me. We wanted you to see, to count them for us. So these two guys did a push-up competition in the Atikaf. I'm not saying that's a good thing to do, but the father and son faced off. They went to the corner of the masjid. I said, they, they made good niya of Riyadh, some exercise, being healthy. The father did more push-ups than his son. The son probably hit 60 or 70, and the father went to like 90 flat. And I saw this guy, I was like, oh my goodness, you guys are tanks, what are you guys, what are you two made of? You know, the community that I come from, the world that I've seen, if a son can do one push-up, the father can do zero. The father can only do push-ups until the son has no idea how to do them. Because by the time the son can do a push-up, he's probably 13, 14 years old, father's 35, 40 plus, how is this man gonna do a push-up? It's غير معقول. It's equivalent to, you know, a prophet of Allah walking on water. Or Nabi Sallallahu pointing at the moon and splitting it. That's the sort of miracle you're thinking of. When you think of a person in their 40s doing 50s, 60s doing push-ups. Allahu Akbar Kabira. May Allah preserve and protect us all. Now, Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala says, وَحُصُورًا وَنَبِيًّا مِنَ الصَّالِحِينَ Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala refers to Sayyidina Yahya alayhi salam. Sayyidan wa hasuran wa nabiyyan min as-salihin that he is a he is a nabi he is a prophet of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala now previously Allah referred to him as sayyid as a leader leader means that he was now in position of people following him right sayyidan and then before that actually before before that we said musaddiqan bi kalimatin min Allah wa sayyidan that he was someone who people followed he was already a person of good character, therefore a person who's hasur and has good character and refrains from, in, from indulging, and they also are in a position of leadership, the only thing left now is give them knowledge, give them nubuwa, give them revelation, and watch what happens. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, we granted him, um, we granted him nubuwa. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala completed Yahya alayhi salam off by giving him nubuwa after the, uh, the aforementioned um, characteristics. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala closes off the ayah by saying, That he was from the righteous. What does this mean he was from the righteous? Three possibilities. Al the first possibility is Ma'anahu Annahu min Aulad Salihin, that he was from the children of righteous people. His father was a righteous person, his mother was a righteous person. That he was a good person. And a good person is also in Arabic called a righteous person, a pious person. That it's possible that his righteousness was above the righteousness of many prophets. Because Nabi said regarding Sayyidina Yahya that there was not a prophet who did not engage in something that would, that would be considered as lack of etiquette or against that which was best to do. 
I'm translating the word masiya here very technically, not literally, okay? Because when we attribute the word masiya to a prophet, we don't translate it as a sin, rather we translate it as khilaful adab wa khilaful awla, something that is against proper etiquette or which isn't the best. There's a legal, there is a theological uh, implication on this translation and that's why I'm translating it this way. So there were prophets who may have engaged in a white lie or may have accidentally hit someone. These, but when it came to Yahya salam, there was nothing of any sort like this with Yahya There's a discussion, some scholars, they say, if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has already said Nabiyan, then what's the purpose of saying Minas Salihin? If Allah is saying He is a prophet, then what's the purpose of saying He's righteous? Because Nubuwa, being a prophet, being a Nabi is greater than being Salih. Being a prophet is greater than being pious. You know, piety is a characteristic anyone can adopt. Nabuwa is selectively given to by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to his, his servants. Well, the answer to this is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions regarding Sulaiman alayhi salam in the Quran, in Surah Naml, وَأَدْخِلْنِي بِرَحْمَتِكَ فِي عِبَادِكَ الصَّالِحِينَ That when the word salah, which means righteousness, is attributed to a prophet, what that means is, in addition to them being prophets and being pious folks, there are now those prophets who excel the others in being considerate of adab of nubuwa, the etiquettes of prophethood, and being loving and kinding to their people, loving and kind to their people that allow them to climb in ranks above other uh, fellow prophets. Now we jump over to the second verse that I wanted to discuss today, which is the verse of Surah Maryam. In Surah Maryam. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes mention of Yahya alayhi salam in verses 12, 13, 14, and 15. 12 to 14, these verses, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, sorry, 12 to 15, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes mention of Yahya alayhi salam. He says regarding Yahya alayhi salam in verse number 12, Ya Yahya khudil kitaba biquwa wa ataynahu al-hukma sabiyya. Oh Yahya, hold on to the book. What is this book referring to? The scholars, they say, there are two positions, by the way, on the, which book is being referred to here. There's one group of scholars, they say, this book refers to a book that was given to Sayyidina Yahya alayhi salam. However, this is not the opinion of, of the majority of the scholars. The majority of the scholars, they say, Al-Kitab al-Madhkur huwa tawrat that the book mentioned in this verse, hold on firmly to the book. This is telling Yahya alayhi salam, hold on firmly to the Torah. Hold on firmly to the Torah. The second thing, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Ya Yahya khudil kitab, O Yahya, hold the book, biquwa, hold on to it. Hold on to it with strength, hold on to it firmly. So what does this mean? Now, the scholars, they say, what this actually means is, hold on to this book with patience. Don't let go. Hold on to it firmly. Don't let it slip out of your hands. Because when a prophet comes to their people with a message, it is very common for those people to turn against that prophet. And if you don't hold on to your, hold on to your message with firmness at that time, biquwa, you can slip. So you have to make sure that when you hold your message, you need to hold on to it firmly. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then says, وَآتَيْنَاهُ الْحُكْمَ sabiya," And we gave him al-hukma, which we're going to translate right now loosely as wisdom, sabiya when he was a, when he was a young child, when he was young. 
What is this hukmah referring to in this ayah? Some ulama they say, Al-hukmu huwa al-fahmu fit-tawrat wal-fiqhu fit-deen. Allah says we granted him wisdom, meaning that it was a deep understanding of the Torah. It was a deep understanding of the religion. The second position is held by Al-Ma'mar. قال أنه العقل that Yahya السلام was very intelligent from a young age. He is quoted to have said, ما لللعب خلقنا that we were not created to play games. He's saying this as a child. That I wasn't created by Allah to play video games. I mean, which, which kid in the world would even think that? And this was Yahya from a young age. He was very intelligent. The third characteristic, the third opinion, some scholars they hold, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala granted Yahya prophethood from a young age. Other prophets were sent when they reached their completion, when they reached 40. But Yahya and Isa are the two exclusions. They were granted prophethood from a young age. Both of them had miraculous births and both of them were granted Nabuwa from a very young age. Now, we granted him prophethood or wisdom at a young age. In the next verse, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, And we granted him Hanan from our side, from us. We granted him Hanan. Zakah means purity. And he was a conscious person. He was a very aware person. Now, what does the word Hanan mean? This is interesting. Hanan asluhu min al-hanin wa huwa al-irtiyah wal lil-firaq. Hanan refers to the pain that a person feels when they go through separation. You guys understand? The jaza, the pain, the agony a person experiences when they go through lil-firaq, when they go through a separation. Kama yuqalu haninun naqa they say Haninun Naqa. Haninun Naqa refers to the noise that a camel makes when it's separated from its child. When it's separated from its child, it makes a, sep- it makes a noise. I have no idea what that noise is. But there's some special sort of a call the camel may have that's called Haninun Naqa. Similarly, Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he had a tree that he would lean on. This is a Bukhari riwayah. That the Prophet ﷺ used to lean against a tree and pray, and then there was a pulpit made for Nabi ﷺ. He stood on the pulpit, started praying, and the companion said, We heard it crying. The word they used at that point for crying wasn't baka or bakat. What did they say? That hannat, hannat tilka shajara. Because that's the pain that a person goes through when they experience separation. Now the scholars have differed in opinion. This is a little tricky, so pay attention here. The scholars have differed in opinion on who is being attributed with this characteristic of Hananan. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He says, وَحَنَانًا مِنْ لَدُنَّا وَحَنَانًا مِنْ لَدُنَّا And compassion from our side. Hanan, like a compassion, a love from our side. Who is this attributed to? One possibility is that we attribute it to Allah, meaning this was a mercy from us to Him, that we granted Him wisdom. 
Or it could be another blessing of Allah to Yahya that we granted him mercy. Do you guys understand? This is where the Mufassirun differ and there is a massive difference here and there are a lot of opinions regarding this. But I want you to understand this. But before we go to that, that discussion and the implications of that discussion, I think the first discussion is, is it okay to even attribute this word Hanan to Allah? When we make an attribution to Allah, we have to ask ourselves, is it okay to make such an attribution? وَاخْتَلَفَ النَّاسُ فِي وَصْفِ اللَّهِ تَعَالَى بِالْحَنَّانِ فَأَجَازَهُ بَعْضُهُمْ وَمِنْهُمْ مَنْ أَبَاهُ There were those who gave permission to attribute this characteristic to Allah and there were those who chose not to. Those who chose not to, it's very obvious why because they said, why would Allah feel pain at separation? It's a very abnormal uh, attribution to Allah. Those who choose to say it's okay to attribute this to Allah, they say, They say in this scenario, all it means is compassion. It does not refer to the pain or the agony a person experiences at separation. They basically change the meaning and then uh, uh, define it in a more broader sense and then attribute it to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so there, there's that difference of opinion. Now, if we say it's a sifa of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the compassionate one, then what this means is that we granted him wisdom, and that was a compassion on our, behind, on our side. That was love on our behalf to that person. We, get, we granted him wisdom as a mercy from us. That we, us granting him wisdom at a young age, however you define wisdom, was kindness from us. Or, That we accepted the dua of Zakaria. So Yahya was a kind gesture or a kind gift from us to Sayyidina Zakariya alayhi salam. Aw yakun al-hananu min Allahi li ummati Yahya. Or Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying that we are giving you a book, hold on to it firmly, convey it to people, wa hanana min ladunna. And when you go to your people, our mercy will be with you too. Our compassion, our kindness will be with you on that journey. Now if we attribute this to Sayyidina Yahya alayhi salam, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying that we granted him compassion, then it's also a very simple explanation that we granted him a book and we made him compassionate. Therefore, when he interacts with his people, he is not harsh, he is not rough, because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala described Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in the Quran with فَبِمَا رَحْمَةٍ مِّنَ اللَّهِ لِنْتَ لَهُمْ That you are soft with them, and this is why people accepted your message. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَزَكَاتٍ And clean and pure and one who purifies. What this means here, the scholars they say, Allah mentions this after compassion because sometimes when a person is compassionate, that can become a problem for them in doing what's right. Do you guys understand? You can be so compassionate to your child that that may distract you from disciplining them. So in these verses, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala describes the believers as those who are rough as well. 
And the reason why they're rough, because there's a time to be soft, and then there's a time to be firm, you know? And you have to know when to be soft and when to be firm. So Yahya was kind and loving, but that did not make him a walkover. That did not mean that he was negligent towards his message. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then describes Yahya alayhi salam وَبَرَّمْ بِوَالِدَيْهِ That he was kind to his parents. He was not harsh to them. وَلَمْ يَكُنْ جَبَّارًا عَصِيًّا He wasn't harsh to them. Neither was he disobedient to his parents. Because the truth is, there is no act of worship after worshiping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There is no act of good after worshiping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala like that can even compare to kindness to one's parents. وَقَضَى رَبُّكَ أَلَّا تَعْبُدُوا إِلَّا إِيَّاهُ وَبِالْوَالِدَيْنِ أَحْسَانَ وَإِذَا خَذْنَا مِثَاقَ بَنِي إِسْرَائِلَ أَلَّا تَعْبُدُوا إِلَّا اللَّهُ وَبِالْوَالِدَيْنِ إِحْسَانَ The Qur'an is full of this. Allah commanded people, fulfill your right to Allah, fulfill your right to your parents. وَلَمْ يَكُنْ جَبَّارًا عَصِيَّةً Allah says he was not Jabbar. Jabbar is someone, the scholars say, هُوَ الَّذِي لَا يَرَى لِأَحَدٍ عَلَى نَفْسِهِ حَقَّ They say Jabbar is someone who, doesn't, who thinks that nobody demands anything from him. No one has a right over him. وَقِيلَ Some ulama they say, Jabbar is um, someone who does not fulfill the rights of others. This is a person that's very rough, very tough, does not fulfill the rights of others. Similarly, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, some scholars they say, that Jabbar is someone who's always getting angry. Someone who's always getting angry, they call this person Jabbar. Referring to Musa salam's story that he allowed his emotions to overcome him the first time and hit someone and killed him. The next day that person said, are you going to hit me? Are you going to fall prey and fall, submit, fall in submission to your anger? And become a Jabbar because someone who submits to their anger, they refer to this person as, this person is Jabbar. Some ulama they say, Jabbar refers to كُلُّ مَنْ عَاقَبَ عَلَىٰ غَضَبِ نَفْسِهِ Someone who retaliates to his anger is someone who is, uh, who is, uh, who is, um, who is Jabbar. وَإِذَا بَطَشْتُمْ بَطَشْتُمْ جَبَّارِينَ Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, لَمْ يَكُنْ جَبَّارًا عَصِيَّةً Neither was he disobedient. Now, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the next verse, He mentions regarding Yahya alayhi salam, وَسَلَامٌ عَلَيْهِ يَوْمَ وُلِدَ وَيَوْمَ يَمُوتُ وَيَوْمَ يُبْعَثُ حَيَّةً and peace be upon him, Yahya alayhi salam. The day he was born, the day he dies, and the day he will be resurrected. Sufyan bin Uyayna, while commenting on this verse, he explained by saying, There are three times, three moments in a human being's life that they are terrified the most. Three times in their existence that they are terrified the most. He, the day he is born because he exits from the comfort of his mother into this world and shaitan touches him at that point the child is terrified so Allah says regarding Yahya may peace be with him the day he is born the second day that terrifies the insan the most is the day they go into their grave because now they see angels that they've never seen before now they see a world that they haven't seen before. Um, and the day they are resurrected, because again the human being enters into a new realm, the day of resurrection, and everyone is gathering together, everyone is being questioned, so a person is terrified. Allah says to Yahya that in all three 
Salamun alayhi yawma walida the day he was born. Wa yawma yamutu the day he will pass away the way he will die. Wa yawma yubathu hayya and the day he will be resurrected alive. The Mufassirun they say, Innama qala hayya tanbihan ala kawnihi min ash-shuhada. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Wa yawma yubath, that would have sufficed, the day you will be resurrected. Allah didn't say that. He said, the day you will be resurrected, alive. Why did Allah say the day you will be resurrected alive? To indicate that he will become a martyr. Because shuhada are living. He won't be resurrected from the dead. He will be resurrected alive. Because a martyr, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, بَلْ أَحْيَاءٌ عِنْدَ رَبِّهِمْ يُرْزَقُونَ Those who are martyrs are alive and they are sustained by their Lord. There is a narration regarding Yahya alayhi salam, narrated by Harith al-Ash'ari. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam said regarding Yahya alayhi salam. Now this hadith is narrated by Imam Tirmidhi. Imam Nasai rahmatullahi alayhi narrates a part of it. Ibn Khuzayma narrates it in his Sahih. Ibn Habban narrates it in his Sahih. Imam Hakim narrates it in his Mustadrak. And then after narrating it, he says, Sahihun ala shart al-Bukhari wa Muslim, that this is authentic narration that matches the conditions of Sahih al-Bukhari and Sahih Muslim, which means this is a sound narration. He says, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Inna Allah amara Yahya ibn Zakariya bi khamsi kalimatin. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala instructed Yahya alayhi salam with five commandments. That he should act upon these five commandments and also command his people to act upon these commandments. Yahya alayhi salam delayed in conveying the message. Why did he delay? Maybe some... Maybe he, he may have slipped his mind, maybe he had it in his mind but was looking for the right opportunity. There could be many reasons, but yubti abiha, there was some delay in his delivering of the message. فَقَالَ Isa عَلَيْهِ salam Isa alayhi salam said to him, إِنَّ اللَّهَ أَمَرَكَ بِخَمْسِ كَلِمَاتٍ لِتَعْمَلَ بِهَا وَتَأْمُرَ بَنِي إِسْرَائِيلَ يَعْمَلُوا بِهَا فَإِمَّا أَن تَأْمُرَهُمْ وَإِمَّا أَنَا أَمُرُهُمْ Isa alayhi salam said, Allah commanded you to convey this message to the people of Bani Israel and act upon it yourself. You're definitely acting upon it, but you haven't conveyed it, conveyed it yet. So either you convey the message to Bani Israel, or I will do it. فَقَالَ Yahya Yahya alayhi salam responded by saying, أَخْشَى إِنْ سَبَقْتَنِي بِهَا أَنْ يُخْسَفَ بِي أَوْ عَذَّبْ I fear that if you surpass me in conveying the message, I will have failed my responsibility of conveying the message, and I could be punished by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So let me do it. فَجَمَعَ النَّاسَ فِي بَيْتِ الْمَقْدِسِ He gathered everyone together in Bayt al-Maqdis. Yahya alayhi salam gathered everyone together. فَامْتَلَأَ الْمَسْجِدِ The masjid was full. وَقَعَدُوا عَلَى الشُّرَفِ People sat down on these nice high elevated areas. فَقَالَ إِنَّ اللَّهَ أَمَرَنِي بِخَمْسِ كَلِمَاتٍ أَنْ أَعْمَلَ بِهِنَّ وَآمُرَكُمْ أَنْ تَعْمَلُوا بِهِنَّ There are five commandments I have to teach you. You will believe in Allah, you will worship Allah, and you will make no partners with Him. He said the example of someone who makes partners with Allah is like a person who purchases a servant. He takes care of the servant, he purchases the servant with his purest wealth, with love. He provides living for the servant and says to the servant, work for me. The servant works for him, the servant lives under his home, benefits from his kindness, but then he works for someone else. So then Yahya asked his people, which one of you would accept this? 
Allah is giving you everything, yet you're serving the dunya, you're serving others, and you haven't served Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Athani, the second one. Inna Allah ta'ala amarakum bis salati. Allah is commanding you to establish your prayer. فَإِذَا صَلَّيْتُمْ فَلَا تَلْتَفِتُ When you do pray, don't be distracted. Don't turn your face left or right and don't turn while you're praying. Be focused. فَإِنَّ اللَّهَ يَنْصِبُ وَجْهَهُ لِوَجْهِ عَبْدِهِ فِي صَلَاتِهِ مَا لَمْ يَلْتَفِتْ Because Allah is directed to His servant as long as His servant is directed to Allah. But when the servant turns away, Allah's mercy also turns away. وَآمُرُكُمْ بِالصِّيَامِ I tell you to fast. فَإِنَّ مَثَلَ ذَلِكَ كَمَثَلِ رَجُلٍ فِي عِصَابَةٍ مَعَهُ سُرَّةٌ فِيهَا مِسْكٌ The example of someone who is fasting is like a person who is with a group of people who have a container, surra, and in the container is misk, musk, a nice fragrance. فَكُلُّهُمْ يَعْجَبُ أَوْ يُعْجِبُهُ رِيحُهَا Every person that smells the fragrance they are amazed by it. Wow, it smells very good. وَإِنَّ رِيحَ الصَّائِمِ أَطْيَبُ عِنْدَ اللَّهِ مِنْ رِيحِ الْمِسْكِ If people are amazed by the smell of musk, Allah loves more the smell that emits from the fasting person, the smell of hunger that emits from their mouth. Allah loves that more. Then He says, وَآمُرُكُمْ بِالصَّدَقَةِ Number four, I tell you, I command you to give sadaqah. فَإِنَّ مَثَلَ ذَلِكَ كَمَثَلِ رَجُلٍ Sorry. فَإِنَّ مَثَلَ ذَلِكَ كَمَثَلِ رَجُلٍ أَسَرَهُ الْعَدُوُّ فَأَوْثَقُوا يَدَهُ إِلَىٰ عُنُقِهِ وَقَدَّمُوهُ لِيَضْرِبُوا عُنُقَهُ The example of someone giving sadaqah is like a person who was captured by the enemy. They tie the person up, tie his hands to his neck, they bring him forward, getting ready to chop his neck off. فَقَالَ أَنَا أَفْدِيهِ مِنْكُمْ بِالْقَلِيلِ وَالْكَثِيرِ فَفَدَى نَفْسَهُ مِنْهُمْ He says to them, I will give you all the wealth I have, the little and the abundant. Whatever I have, I'll give it to you, set me free. And with that, he sets himself free. And sadaqah will free you from the fire of hell too. And the last one, وَآمُرُكُمْ أَن تَذْكُرُ اللَّهَ And I command you to always stay in the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. فَإِنَّ مَثَلَ ذَلِكَ كَمَثَلِ رَجُلٍ خَرَجَ لَعَدُوُّ فِي أَثَرِهِ سِرَاعًا The example of a person who does dhikr of Allah is like a person who is being followed by the enemy. They are in his pursuit right behind him and they're rushing behind him and he's rushing too. حَتَّى إِذَا أَتَى عَلَى الْحِسْنٍ حَسِينٍ Until this person comes to a big fort. فَأَحْرَزَ نَفْسَهُ مِنْهُمْ He enters into the fort and protects himself from the enemy that was just chasing him right now. كَذَلِكَ الْعَبْدُ لَا يُحْرِسُ نَفْسَهُ مِنَ الشَّيْطَانِ إِلَّا بِذِكْرِ اللَّهِ Similarly, shaitan, your enemy, is constantly chasing you. The only way you can protect yourself from shaitan is by entering into the fort of the dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The last thing to discuss is Yahya alayhi salam's passing away. However, we covered this in detail in our last class. In our previous class, I discussed this issue in detail, the different narrations, the different opinions, how most of the narrations trace back to one narrator. We covered all of this in detail in our last class, therefore we won't cover it again today. We pray that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grants us all tawfiq. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allows us to live by the beautiful characteristics that Sayyidina Yahya salam is described with. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us righteous, make our children righteous, and resurrect us with the righteous. May peace be with us the day we die and the day we are resurrected too. Wa sallallahu ta'ala ala Sayyidina Muhammad. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi ta'ala wa barakatuh.